We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So are you lady live out here? About the past six months. Meaning you still live in New York? You always ask this many questions, Argyle. <laughs> Sorry, man. I used to drive a cab, and uh, people would expect a little chit-chat. So you divorced? Just drive the car, man. Hey, come on. You divorced? You separated? <laughs> she beat you up? <laughs> she had a good job. Turned into a great career. Now that means she had to move here. You're very fast, Argyle. So why didn't you come? Because I'm a New York cop. I got a six-month backlog of New York scumbags I'm still trying to put behind bars. I can't just pick up and go that easy. In other words, you thought she wasn't going to make it out here, and she'd come crawling up back to you. So why bother to pack, right? <laughs> like I said, you're very fast, Argyle. <laughs> you mind if we hear some tunes? Hey, that'll work. Any Christmas music? This is Christmas music. It was December 24th on Hollis Avenue, the dark. When I see the man chilling with his dog at the park. Hello and welcome to another edition of Final Review. My name is Andrew Claudio, and on today's show, with Christmas at time of recording just three days away. Oz and I invite you to come out to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs and celebrate this 1988 holiday classic that just so happens to also have a case for the greatest action movie ever, the greatest action lead ever, the greatest action villain ever, and one of the greatest action decades of all time. Die Hard. Yippee Kaye, motherfuckers. This movie has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes on 80 reviews. It made $181 million at the box office in 1988 when it came out, adjusted for inflation. That is a lot of money that I didn't feel like I should look up because it's self-explanatory how much $181 million should be at the box office. And believe it or not, this dumb action movie was nominated for four Academy Awards at the Oscars in 1989 for film editing, sound editing, sound, and visual effects. Joining me to break it all down and potentially carry this episode, if you hear my voice, Mr. Bernard Ozrowski. Oz, how you doing today, buddy? Welcome to the party, pal. Yeah, tell me about it. First of all, let me just say this, because I know John hinted at it at Nick's Film School, and for the crossover people listening... I don't have it. I don't have COVID. I, at this point, the agita of retracing steps and telling everybody I've been in contact with over the last week would have would not be worth it. But it also is like a quick explainer of why I'm sick. I thought I had it. I've had all the symptoms. 
it's actually a nice, you know, reminder. You could just get the common cold or like the flu. And like, that's, that's a world we used to live in before 2020. Um, I am okay though. My fever is finally gone. My voice is still gone and we're going to power through it today. And we're going to power through it by talking about one of my favorite movies. And we're going back to a decade you love so much us the 1980s to talk about Die Hard. Um, how this relates to Christmas will come up at some point today, but this is a celebration of the action genre and really a turning point for the action genre as well. This was adapted from the Robert Thorpe book titled Nothing Lasts Forever. It was originally a sequel to the Frank Sinatra movie, The Detective. It came out two weeks before I was born. Oz, what do you remember about the first time you saw Die Hard? I don't remember. The first time I saw Die Hard, which really? is so strange because I've probably seen this movie like a hundred times in my life. This is one of the wear out the VHS tape movies for me. It's one that I watch every single Christmas. I It might be the movie I've watched the most in my entire life. And I, I don't have an origin story here, which is which is really, really bizarre. And maybe it's that I've seen it so many times. It's just been subsumed into my mind. And I was um, three when it came out, so I don't have a theatrical story here. But uh, no, this this is uh, I I adore this movie. It it sort of makes lie of all the shit I talk about '80s cinema in general. You know, perhaps the the high point of '80s cinema right here, or at least of '80s cinema as a as a vibe. Uh, this might be the best it gets. So uh, I love love this movie. Yes, and it's it's funny. I think what I remember about my first time viewing it, if I can go back that far is that once I finally did see it, it was like, oh, yeah, okay. This is this is a confirmation of what everybody has been telling me about this movie my entire life and why it's held in such high regard. Because look, we've poked fun at the 80s. Some have poked harder than others on this podcast, but there is not much critical thought done during the Reagan era, at least not um, drug-free critical thought during this decade. And... When you make stars out of the Stallones and the Seagals and the Schwarzeneggers of the world, you have a charismatic, seemingly everyday guy that came from television that adds a little bit of heart to this movie as well. Is that a fair assessment about Die Hard that while it's not it's not ever going to like change your worldview about anything or really make you think it's at least going to give you characters that you're attached to that are more than just the machismo of the eighties. I totally agree. I think Die Hard changes the, I mean, look, it, it changes the game in a way that, that Marvel movies are, are even now the same sort of quippy action. I can't believe the same shit is happening to me uh, thing that we, we see in Die Hard and the sequels. And also, I mean, lethal weapon is kind of right there, but those are, you know, let's leave Mel Gibson out today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, but it, it's the, it's a shift away from these uh, steroidal freaks of the '80s, the sort of pro wrestlingification of the movie industry, which perfectly dovetails with Reagan era American politics. And we we see this, as you said, it's an everyman kind of story. Uh, and look, it's the way he talks. It's it's the way he's frustrated. It's the way his marriage sucks. There's there's a human element here that is 
you know, not not so much there if you watch like Rocky Four or something like that. One of these other, <laughs> one of these other quintessential '80s movies. Even like like Top Gun, the the controversies are like, yeah, Goose dies, but the controversies are like, oh my god, which song are we going to sing at karaoke? Or who's yeah. going to loop the other person up for beach volleyball? And here we have some some measure of kind of interpersonal human conflict that's a little bit different and look i i just i think that motivated bruce willis and i murdered bruce willis on the pulp fiction pod so now i'm going to talk about why bruce willis used to be one of my favorite actors motivated bruce willis is awesome what a great fucking action star he's so cool he's so badass he has this edge to him that really i i think he has inspired so much of what we view as successful in action movies today uh yeah, this movie is it, this movie is great. Bruce Willis is is really perfect in this sort of shit talking role until they turned him into a superhero after another couple of these movies. Well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but there's only two actors that we're going to be discussing today. Obviously, we're doing a repeat category for Bruce Willis, and then when we talk about Alan Rickman, the Hans Gruber, the villain in this movie. And those are the two things. While I do think it's directed well, I do think it's shot extremely well. The music is fine. The stunt coordination is unreal when you really think about everything that they had to coordinate. But the two main cogs of an action movie is your protagonist, the hero that you're following throughout the movie, and the villain, the person you're supposed to be afraid is going to kill our protagonist. They got that right. And it's it's a it's a blueprint as almost going forward from this point that it's got to be like John McClane. It's got to be like Hans Gruber. And it changed the industry, I think, forever. How many diehards on a bus, on a plane, like at the White House, uh, in space fighting Thanos? Like you mentioned, the MCU is like this as well. Um, we should get into... I want to save the Christmas stuff for the last category because... How this thing became a debate about whether it's a Christmas movie or not, I am so fascinated by how doing my research, like it just all of a sudden was like Die Hard's a Christmas movie. No, it's not. And it is like the number one thing associated with this movie rather than it's an incredible action movie, you know? You're right. There is no debate because it is a Christmas movie and it's See, a masterpiece of Christmas cinema. <laughs> I I will save my answer. How's this? Here's a tease. I will save my answer for the end. The categories we are not doing today. Let's just go over them real quick. Reginald Vell Johnson, who plays the cop Al Powell in the movie, also known as Carl Winslow in the TV show Family Matters. Um, it's actually probably my favorite relationship in the movie. I know John McClane is married. Bonnie Bedale and I, uh, Ms. Gennaro, she goes with. Oh, Gennaro, um, yep. Yes, he's married, but like their relationship cop to cop is actually the thing that I, I care about the most when watching this and rewatching this. And then that moment at the end when he finally meets face to face with Al and the like relief that he feels is, again, that moment of heart that makes you care about the characters in this movie. So uh, the I, I will say there's a slight problematic element watching a movie that culminates in a cop who once shot a kid figuring out the ability to 
shoot, you know, unarrested suspects again. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't care. It's awesome. I it, this this movie made me. I I do remember that this movie is what I learned what a Twinkie was from. Yes. Uh, because of because of Sergeant Al Powell. Uh, I agree with you that that relationship really makes things work. And and something that that maybe I didn't pick up in the VHS days, but thank God for 4K today, is his eye roll expressions about all the dick baggery happening around him during during the sort of negotiations and when the FBI shows up and everything else. It's amazing. This guy is doing some great comedic shit in the background while nobody is watching. He he's incredible. So here's where I'll give the movie not a pass for what you mentioned as far as questionable police decisions. I think this movie is scathing to the entire LAPD and questionable police decisions. There's a lot of, I'm not going to call it a loophole or a a plot inconsistency, (laughs) but like the way the police are portrayed in this movie that isn't John McClane, the way that the media is portrayed in this movie, like TV trucks are allowed to just like drive through crime scenes and be fine, which is just like not a thing that happens in media. But again, the eighties, that's why and we'll get to this when we talk about the category, but the plot matters very little to the action in this movie, which is why I'm able to forgive it a little bit. Like the biggest loophole of this movie or the plot hole in this movie is that they show up, Hans and his team show up with a truck that's supposed to have an ambulance in it and there's no ambulance. And then later in the movie, an ambulance comes right out of the truck that they all came in. Like they they completely forgot to take put the ambulance back when they reshot and came up with that plot point later on. It doesn't matter if you enjoyed him jumping off the roof. That's all that matters in this movie. Yeah, you know, I, this this movie has so many good throwaway moments too. I I, I love when the the two FBI agents are the helicopter. And one of them, one of them mm. is like, "It's just like a dam," and the other guy is like, "I was three, you dickhead." Uh, it's it's uh, it's uh, look. Every one of these movies, every action movie, every eighties movie, frankly, every movie in general, you you can pull these sort of quibbles on. I hate the cinema sins mm. stuff of like, oh my god, the ambulance wasn't there at the right time. Oh no, who cares? Like, who who gives a shit if that's what upsets you about the movie? Find a new hobby. Don't don't watch action <laughs> movies. Like, go go fuck off back to Chekhov or something, and and let us have our fun. So I have four words that I will save for when we do the 80s and the regular action category later that help me enjoy action movies. It's a question I ask every time I watch an action movie. And we'll we'll get to it then. Another tease. We're not doing anything about the screenwriters in this movie. I don't think it actually matters, even though there are comedic beats that are written in to this movie. Uh, Steve D'Souza, who wrote one half of the script, um, Jeb Stewart adapted the movie, or at least the script, Die Hard, from Nothing Lasts Forever. And just it wasn't funny. And so when McTiernan took over, um, he was like, "I'd, I'd like this to be more than just like... A, a boring action movie where I'd like this to have some type of humor. So he got Steve D'Souza, who's also done Lethal Weapon in 48 Hours, to come and punch it up a little bit. And he is the one that came up with all the different fun elements throughout the the script that, like again, the yippee Kaye motherfucker is a thing he discussed with Bruce Willis about adding in because they both enjoyed the Roy Rogers show. So that is literally like his conception. So like giving him credit, we're not doing a top five for him for that. He said in a documentary I watched about Die Hard that they couldn't think of an escape plan for Hans until like two weeks before they were done shooting. And he was like, 
well, I did this TV movie a couple of years ago where they exited through an ambulance in the back. So let's just do that. And they wrote that element in like at the end of shooting. So they hadn't even thought about having to go back and reshoot that other scene. Then the first cut, they were like, oh shit, we didn't even think about that, that plot point. And McTiernan was like, if someone is watching this movie and two hours later, like, wait, two hours ago, they came out of that truck. So basically exactly what Oz says. Sounds like he's as qualified to direct Die Hard is the <laughs> takeaway I've got it from all this. Um, the other two big things we're not going to be doing today is John DeBont, the cinematographer for this movie. I think there are some really cool shots in this movie. Actually, the the air duct, that the, the classic air duct shot that is like a Christmas ornament nowadays um, that you see John McClane in. Um, there are plenty of great shots in this movie that I think DeBont nails well. He's also the director of Point Break or Speed? Which Keanu movie? Speed. Point it's Break speed. is Catherine Bigelow. That's good. My bad. I got to get that right. Um, he's the director of Speed. And then the last one is the Die Hard franchise. And there's only five. There's only like two I actually... Well, two and a half that I kind of like. Can we just quickly, before we get to the categories, rank the five Die Hard movies? One, three, two, four, five. That's the exact same order I have. It, is, was, the, it, is, it is objective truth. Any other answer is incorrect. How far from three is one? Enormous. One is a huge gap. Then three is a huge gap. Then I have two and four are actually kind of close. Four, four would be better if it was rated R. There's some, there's some good there. There's some, it's over the top and superhero-y, but there's some good shit. And five is just an abomination. Everyone, everyone involved with five should have a, a black mark next to their name for the rest of their days. I, wow. I think they kind of do. Like name a Bruce Willis movie you like since die, well, Live Free or Die Hard. Or is that Live Free or Die Hard or Good Day to Die Hard? A Good Day to Die Hard. That's the one there in Russia. Go. That's the that's the abomination. Uh, I I think Bruce Willis is okay in Motherless Brooklyn, which is yes, actually good call. I, I forgot about that movie. Yes, he is a good Motherless Brooklyn. Drop it, dickhead. It's the police. You won't hurt me. Oh, yeah. Why not? Because you're a policeman. There are rules for policemen. Yeah. So my captain keeps telling me. Oz, are you ready to do a final review of Die Hard? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. The categories we're going over today. John McTiernan directed films. Bruce Willis performances. A repeat category after we did Willis in Pulp Fiction. Alan Rickman performances. Villain performances. I think this is the third time we're doing this category. Action movie villains. 1988, the 1980s, action movies, 80s action movies, and then we will wrap up with Christmas movies. That should be an interesting conversation. We start with our auteur, as always. Is Die Hard a top five John McTiernan directed film? So his big thing when he was asked to do this movie when he, he came to Jeb Stewart, who, again, adapted the script from this thing that was supposed to be a sequel to the Sinatra movie, he didn't want the bad guys to be terrorists. He wanted them to be more, he wanted them to be more robbers. He thought robbers are fun. Like that, That's the energy we should be going with is not that these are terrorists, because then it's a darker tone. It's, it's impossible to find them charismatic. That's why there's a line by Hans at one point in the movie. It says, we're not terrorists. I have a question for you, but I think I actually want to know your top five first. Well, let me ask you, are you doing anything in your top three that isn't the obvious top three? Uh, yes, actually, I think I, I think I'm 
I think I'm fucking with the top three a little here, actually. Are you really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then it's oh, maybe all the research I do is for nothing. Okay. So it's, then- it's it's the it's the top four for me are the obvious top four, but I, I have a I have a wild card in the mix. If you say rollerball, I swear to God. Um okay. So let me let's just say this about John McTiernan, one of the greatest auteurs of action movies. In fact, there is a run he goes on in the late 80s, where in 1987, he directs Predator. In 1988, he directs our baby today, Die Hard. And then two years later, he directs Hunt for Red October. So three movies that start franchises. There have been, We went through the Predator franchise when we talked about Alien. Die Hard, we just said there's been five movies since. And Hunt for Red October has had five different Jack Ryans from that Tom Clancy book. And a TV show with John Krasinski. So three movies that launched a franchise. And it's like really rare to be able to do that, where the top three movies of a guy's filmography all happened in four years. They're widely regarded toward the top of their genres. And I wanted to know, Oz, can you think of a guy or a director that has a similar run like that? James Cameron. So it's funny you say Cameron. So how do you feel about the abyss? The abyss is awesome. So if if you're gonna say Cameron, then basically everything he's done is good because he goes T two Judgment Day, The Abyss, Titanic, or you can go Aliens, T two Judgment Day, The Abyss. Basically, James Cameron has that if The Abyss is awesome. But I was going over the directors we've done so far, Fincher. Um, has the social network girl with the dragon tattoo gone girl yet like Zodiac is not in there. And I think you and I both agree that's his actual best movie, right? Yeah, that's fair. So Nolan has two different options. You can go memento insomnia, Batman begins not feeling it. And then you could, I think I could go the dark Knight inception, the dark Knight rises, but I don't really love the dark Knight rises. You don't really you wouldn't put the Dark Knight as high as others would. And Dunkirk doesn't even get mentioned here. How about Spielberg? That's the best one so far. So if you want to go Raiders, E.T., Temple of Doom. That's pretty. That That's a lot better than that's what, a lot better than what McTiernan table. did. So Spielberg might be a cheat code here, but... The only also, caveat like, of- like let's go let's go back in time let's look at Kurosawa let's look at Hitchcock there's there's definitely some uh some champion three back to back early career movies for for some of these folks I have to All imagine right. look at Hitchcock Suspicion okay. Saboteur Shadow of a Doubt back to back to back that's forty one to forty three for him that's fucking killer okay. or how about how about this Dial M for Murder Rear Window and To Catch a Thief all within 18 months. That's in 18 months. Okay. Vertigo North by Northwest psycho and the birds. Hell throw the wrong man on before that. That's five in a row. Better than Hitchcock is the best. Hitchcock is the best. I think I'm sticking with a specific thing though, where the guys clear three best movies before you went full criterion on me (laughs) are like all in four years. (laughs) It's my boy. I know. I know. That's fair. So, Tarantino has Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. That's the best three in a row he has. And those movies happen over six years. Three of our top four, when we mentioned Tarantino, um, Inglorious Bastards, Django, and Once Upon a Time are not mentioned. Scorsese, his best three-year run I saw was either Raging Bull, King of Comedy, After Hours. Now, it's four in a row because then you can do Color of Money. Um, 
Hugh, or you can go Hugo Wolf of Wall Street silence and then go Ooh. into the Irishman. As somebody so, who likes Hugo, that is a that is a winning era. That's where I, I give you that if you'd like it. The only issue is that this is over the span of six years. If you it like. also it's missing, you know, the, the biggest all the documentaries and it's well, you know, there's all these documentaries, and as you mentioned, Goodfellas like and Raging Bull are in like three different decades. Like the the length of all these different movies are gonna go to Spielberg and Tarantino and Scorsese. I found I found a winner for you. Oh, what's uh, up? Stanley Kubrick has Doctor Strangelove, Two Thousand One, and A Clockwork Orange as three in a row, which are I think his three best movies, give or take The Shining. Uh, that's pretty fucking good. That is pretty good. So Kubrick, I think, is the best one I've heard so far. The point is, McTiernan, Predator is held in very high regard. Die Hard, we're talking about today, held in very high regard. Hunt for Red October, I'm talking about three franchise starters. All happened from 87 to 90. And he just like disappears. This is like if a guy took steroids in the 90s and then had three great baseball seasons in four years. And then went back to being a singles hitter. That's the impressive part about McTiernan's filmography. I like Ridley Scott, the best three-year stretch I have. And I don't even like Blade Runner, but it's Duelist, his first movie, Alien, and then Blade Runner. Like in a row, at least the best three-movie stretch you have is that. So, well, well, Ridley Scott always makes a house of Gucci from time to time. Well, that's to, to fuck it, up the resume. That's the other part. Is like you can say PTA has punched drunk love, there will be blood, and the master, but then we're just like not including. Boogie Nights, Phantom Thread, or Licorice Pizza. So, I don't know. I was very impressed going... Because the the drop-off for me, at least, after those three is stark. And, like, McTiernan also doesn't hasn't done a lot of movies. So, there's that element to this conversation as well. And yet, he has these three to-the-genre masterpieces that are held in such esteem as well. I've got a weird comp for you for what's up here. And it doesn't, it doesn't, but I think it fits the arc generally. You know, maybe he'll go to jail and complete the arc like McTiernan. But uh, how about M night Shyamalan that you get a, you get, this is, this is movies two to four for McTiernan and one to three for, for Shyamalan are uh, six cents on breakable and signs, which are, are pretty, I think, you know, if, if not his clear top three, I think it's his clear top, two with six cents and signs and then unbreakable is at least in the conversation unless you want to go to uh the the split personality split um or <laughs> I, I don't know the, the the grandma's house one like it, it seems visit. pretty it seems pretty clear that those are his his top dogs so i think that's a, a pretty and he goes on to make a lot of shit just like john McTiernan. <laughs> um i hope he doesn't go to jail first of all Shout out! I'm wondering if we're going to talk about John McTiernan's uh, running with the law here. Let, let, let's not. Let's. It's he. He's a shitty guy who did a lot of shitty things, but he made a lot of good action movies. So let's yes, celebrate good action movies. That is a good cop for with Shyamalan, though. Those would be my three in Six Sense One, and then in a different order, probably Signs and then Unbreakable. Although when we talked about Bruce Willis, Unbreakable is in my top five for him. So it's not like I think that movie's bad. It's a good cop. Um, okay, us. Your top five John McTiernan directed films. All right. My easy number one is Die Hard. It is one of the all-time greats in this genre. Uh, Die Hard is his best movie. My number two is a movie that I, I revisited and was surprised just how well it still works. There's some interesting accent work at play here. But my number two is The Hunt for Red October. 
Okay. Which is uh, the the wonderful cinematic introduction to Jack Ryan, who's been played by like 37 actors at this point. Uh, here it's Alec Baldwin. Also, Sean Connery is in this. This is this is really good Cracker Jack action cinema. I definitely saw this when I was five years old in theaters and can still remember that experience. So I I, I love this movie. That's a pretty a pretty easy top two for me. So when we did Alien, part of Alien was a rewatch of the Alien and Predator universe and all of those. And I, I found myself not really responding particularly positively to Predator uh, after all these years. And as a result, my number three is going to be Die Hard with a Vengeance, which, wow. yep, which <laughs> I, I think the chemistry between Willis and Samuel L. Jackson works. I, I think the it's again, just like Die Hard. It's not supposed to be a Die Hard movie. They were like, oh, here's this script called Simon Says. Let's adapt it into a Die Hard thing. I, I think the the villain works. Uh, the ending of this movie makes no sense and is like a sloppy disaster. But otherwise, I, I think this is a this is a hell of a good hang as action movies go. And I'm I'm perfectly content to watch Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson curse at one another for hours and hours on end. My number four will be Predator, which is a, a good action movie. I just don't adore it. And my number five with some quibbling is going to be the uh, Sexy Time Heist movie, The Thomas Crown Affair, mm. with uh, a, a largely naked for the entire movie, Rene Russo and Pierce Brosnan. This is, a, this is a pretty good movie, very much in the vein of things they simply do not make anymore. You, you cannot have R-rated Sexy Time movies with like... $50 million, $50 million in like 1998 budgets uh, for adults to go see beautiful people fucking steal artwork. Uh, I, I'm sad that this is a dead genre, but this is a pretty good movie. <laughs> so to repeat a trope that we've discussed a lot on this podcast, we do not compare lists. And look, I've been in bed the last four days, so I've rarely talked the last couple days. Um, but we have the same top four, just in a different order. Um, Die Hard is also my number one. Hunt for Red October is my number two. Predator is my number three. And then Die Hard with a Vengeance is my number four. And then, man, I, I was stunned how much I enjoyed rewatching Last Action Hero this week. Really? I Man, like, you know how I feel about Arnold. And I think because he's playing a version of Arnold. Like he's in on the joke. That movie's not just fun. It's hilarious. When they turn around at the funeral and everybody has a gun, I laughed my ass off. So I'll make that my number five with the Thomas Crown Affair, a very close number six. Um, these are the six, right? I, I think, well, you know, let, let me quibble on that slightly and say okay. that it, it's, it's not a great movie, but there's merit to the 13th Warrior. I haven't seen it. It it's okay. It's based okay. on a it's based on a Crichton story, um, Eaters of the Dead. It it's it's kind of quiet, and uh, it, Antonio Banderas is is a Viking warrior. There's some kind of horror y elements to it. I don't think it's a great movie. It's kind of, it's kind of a grind. I think it was pretty poorly reviewed when it came out. I, I think it's okay. I, I, okay. I, I wouldn't lose my mind over someone tossing that on the list, but you know, I have all of his other, and he only has like eleven movies or something. All these other ones are very bad. Basic is very, very bad. Medicine Man is incredibly bad. Rollerball is like an all-time punching bag for shitty movies with Chris Klein off of American Pie and uh -huh. LL Cool J. That is, oh boy, is that bad. Can we say the most fascinating part of Rollerball? 
Uh, well, well, rollerball got Mr. McTiernan a, <laughs> what, yes. a, a solid, what, two years or something years, in like yes. Wyoming penitentiary. So, yes. um, he, li- yeah. he hired a private investigator to wiretap his producing partner. I forget the guy's name, but the guy is also the producer of the Dark Knight trilogy and all of these DC comic movies. So they had a different vision of how Rollerball was going to go, a remake of the 1970s Rollerball. He wanted to be more action and less social commentary. And because they were having such issues, he literally watergated him. The FBI got involved and he got convicted of wiretapping and had to do two years for a movie that has 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it's not the movie you want to go to jail over, John McTiernan. Yeah, you know, and he's been... I, I, I look, I, I, this is not a case that I've, I'm a particular expert on beyond like what Wikipedia says and some mm-hmm. like snippy comments that come up on the internet from time to time. But I, I, he's been effectively blacklisted after this. I, I, I don't really have How do you trust your director if he's going to wiretap you? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. George Steinbrenner tried to do this shit and then came back and won a bunch of rings. Like, yeah, you, you, because you come back from this shit because the roster that was put together while he was gone turned into a dynasty core four. <laughs> Look, 1996, 1998, 1999, 2000 and 2009 all happened after uh, he had been purged from baseball for doing exactly the same sort of shit baggery with uh, private investigators and everything mm-hmm. else. So I'm just saying there, there can be a redemptive arc here. According to Wikipedia, he wrote a sequel to The Thomas Crown Affair while he was in jail. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that I want to watch Pierce Brosnan and, and Rene Russo fucking now, but let's let's do that movie with, with Ben Affleck and Anna Diarmas. I think that'd be good. Speaking of that movie may never see the light of day, unfortunately. That one's never coming out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I wanted this to be professional, efficient, adult, cooperative, not a lot to ask. Alas, your Mr. Takagi did not see it that way, so he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. We can go anywhere you want us. You can walk out of here or be carried out. But have no illusions. We are in charge. So, decide now, each of you. And please remember, we have left nothing to chance. Now I have a machine gun. 
Next up, repeat categories, Die Hard Top 5 Bruce Willis performance. Now, let's quickly go over our top fives from the Pulp Fiction podcast and see if they've changed. My top five is Die Hard, The Sixth Sense, The Fifth Element, Unbreakable, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oz, what is your top five? My top five is Die Hard, The Sixth Sense, Moonrise Kingdom, Looper, and Armageddon. Okay, so... We're staying the same here. I'm not staying the same. Here's what I'm going to do. Wow. Okay. What are you doing? I finally saw the French dispatch and I did not like the French dispatch. And because I did not like the French dispatch, I'm going to move Moonrise Kingdom down, which is some retroactive (laughs) bullshit uh, and totally unfair and nonsensical. And I don't care. So now we're going to do Die Hard, Sixth Sense, Armageddon, Looper, Moonrise Kingdom as my top five Bruce Willis. And I'm sad not to have Fifth Element in there, which I quite love. And he's good in 12 Monkeys. And as mentioned, Motherless Brooklyn is, you know, perhaps the last time we'll ever see motivated Bruce Willis again. But uh, yeah, let's let's appreciate Armageddon. One of the (laughs) one of the greatest trash movies ever made. I love it. And he's wonderful and perfect in it. Yes, that specifically he's good in it. But specifically, the thing I love about Armageddon is the Ben Affleck commentary on the DVD where he's drunk and literally asks, why didn't they just train astronauts to drill? Why did they train drill like people that drill holes to be astronauts? Because you know what the mo- you know what Ben should pay attention because they answer this in the movie because drilling is not a science, it's an art. You have to have the right feel. That's why Harry Stamper has to go up to the asteroid and leave his baby girl behind and do it himself because he can't trust nobody else to do this thing. Sure. Love sure. <laughs> I love you, Michael too. Bay. Um, so speaking of Bruce Willis, um, we should talk about John McClane for a little bit, because this is an iconic action movie lead. And I want to know what the what you consider the Mount Rushmore, because I, I do, do all of them have the name John between Rambo, Wick and McClane and the, obviously Jason Bourne and like Alan Ripley. You could throw in there. But I was wondering, like, does James Bond qualify in this so what do you consider like the mount rushmore for action movie lead characters uh james bond definitely counts i know it's a spy movie but so many of them are action movies or riffs on action movies that james bond is the clear first choice for my action movie mount rushmore my second choice will be john mcclane i i think look aside from five this is a good, awesome character, even as he becomes more and more superhero-like and less and less human-like over the course of the series. Uh, it's innovative. It's game-changing. It's it's really, really good. Uh, my number three... Oh, man. There's a modernity thing to this that I'm going to fall prey to and my apathy towards towards uh, the 80s. I'm going to go with Jason Bourne. I, I really mm. think that the Bourne movies are are quite effective um, across the board. Even even the Renner one is pretty good. But uh, I'm going to go Jason Bourne and uh, let me maul my fourth spot for a moment. Okay, let, let me so, maul my. You you start yours. Let me maul my well, fourth spot. If James Bond counts, then he's he like has to be. He's yeah. up there with Indiana Jones for most iconic like movie characters, let alone action movie characters. So I'll go I'll go Bond and McLean and a clear one. I have Ethan Hunt in there. The Mission Impossible franchise has only gotten better. I think just Tom Cruise has also taken Ethan Hunt into other properties, which has been kind of cool. But (laughs) 
you know, also lets me know what kind of movie I'm in for. Hence my love for the edge of tomorrow. Um, and then I'm back and forth between like, do I go John Wick and have the recency bias of the three movies? Do I go Jason Bourne with the three movies that I like, even though the action really is good there. And the mystery also adds to it, which is why I think I'd lean that way. But like, there's also the Ellen Ripley of the world. There's like, I don't love his work, but John Rambo, um, is an action movie star in the eighties. Um, I, I just have to mention that as far as me, even though if I don't like him, there is an audience for him. Um, so I think I'm landing the plane here on bond, McLean hunt and either wick or born. And right now I'll say John wick, but if John wick four is bad, then I'll go Jason Bourne. I'm I I love the John Wick movies. I'm only leaving them out because I, I don't think there's much of a character there. It's it's very stoic. Mm-hmm. There's no you know nothing not that Jason Bourne is like a uh, an open box of emotions. I, I'm gonna put uh, Mad Max as my uh, okay as my fourth here. I, I think there's those movies are all quite well made, even when they're batshit. Uh, and, and I know that Furiosa is sort of the the standout figure in in Mad Max four. Uh, I, I'm sorry to put Mel Gibson on another list. I was to say you made it 35 minutes into this God podcast before you acknowledged and rewarded Mel Gibson. Congratulations. And I'm worried I'm going to have to mention lethal weapon later. Yep. Also, I just, I, <laughs> God damn it. It's, oh, you know, man. it sucks. Like someone who was so integral to my, like growing up as a film fan, I, I've seen like every early mm-hmm. Mel Gibson movie. Some of them are really important to me. And that guy's just such a fucking piece of shit. It's really hard to to grapple with, but I can't I can't deny that the Mad Max movies are are awesome and that character is great and now that character is proven to work with a different person uh, playing it. So let let's put Mad Max on my Mount Rushmore. Couple of things about Bruce Willis, real quick before we move on to the next category. Um, he actually did the jump, like a stunt coordinator and a stuntman did the swinging of the when the, he's on the hose, but he actually jumped off. And did the stunt for the the Nakatomi jump scene with the with suck the at Tom Cruise and then just bare feet. I I have a thing with my feet. I wear flip flops all the time, even when I'm at home, <laughs> because I'm afraid of stepping on glass. And while I've noticed the fake feet that are clearly visible in the stepping on glass scene, it's still just like one of my pet peeves and anxieties of is like, I'm going to wake up and get out of bed one day. And there's going to be glass everywhere. <laughs> I'd be, I'd prefer fire over glass. That's how paranoid I am about that. So like hat tip to you, John McTiernan for including that and hat tip to you, John McClain for enduring that, you know? <laughs> um, also, are you aware of the laundry list of people that, cause again, Bruce Willis, this was his first like real action movie. He wasn't an action movie star. When he was cast, he was a TV star on a show called Moonlighting with Sybil Shepard, which is fine, but he was a wise ass. Like There was no action involved to him. And so the laundry list of actors that were almost John McClane before Bruce Willis got the role. Are you aware of the list? Uh, I'm not actually aware of this list. What, so what meant, hit, hit me? I know I know this for like Indiana Jones or like James Bond recastings, but what what what, have we, what have, who almost fucked this movie up? So because this was originally supposed to be a sequel to The Detective, they were legally obligated to offer it to Sinatra first, and Sinatra wow. 
thankfully said, I'm 60 years old now. I make too much money to do a movie like this. I will pass. And then because it's the 80s, they went through all of the notable names. Stallone, Eastwood, Arnold, uh, Richard Gere, Burt Reynolds, uh, J- James Kahn, Al Pacino. And all of them said they don't understand the script. And so they got Bruce Willis to do it because he was looking to do something. And his comedy was able to shine a little more because they got a guy that is naturally a wise ass, which I think is a blessing in disguise and ended up making the movie 10 times better. Um, wow. I, I, I'm not shocked to hear any of this, especially the way the industry works that a lot of times these really weird castings are because everyone else said no, but this movie would have been very bad if you could really see it. If like Arnold played this role, what it would look like yeah. thinking of that movie eraser. Um, Oh God, this movie would be so bad if if Arnold played the lead role. Yes, very much so. I'm glad you're you're seeing the the line delivery. Well, like we also get it a year earlier with Predator in a way. Like you son of a bitch. Like that's what Arnold is when you're giving him lines to to read that are supposed to land comedic points, you know? It's not even uh, you know, I'll say this for Arnold to, to be a little fair. I don't think he's a terrible actor. I just don't think he he can speak English in a way that allows him to do dialogue driven parts. So in movies where he doesn't actually have to talk much, like the movie, like the zombie apocalypse movie where his daughter is slowly becoming a zombie and he's basically moping the entire time. He's quite good. He's he's good in the Terminator movies where he doesn't really talk. Um, I, I think you're you're too mean to poor Arnold, but uh, a, a, a quippy cop is not what he should be playing. Mayday, mayday. Anyone copying Channel 9? Terrorists have seized the Nakatomi building and are holding at least 30 people hostage. I repeat, unknown number of terrorists, six or more, armed with automatic weapons at Nakatomi Plaza. Century City. That's the best place to transmit. Somebody answer me, goddammit. The roof. Go, go! It's the same address as that fire signal. I'll handle it. Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. No fucking shit, lady! Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Uh, Next up is Die Hard, a top five Alan Rickman performance. Did you know that this was his first film role? Is it really? I did not know that. It was his first ever film role. I'm actually stunned by that. Yeah, he was a Broadway actor from from the theater. And I forget who it was that whether it was a casting director or someone that had, had already been cast that knew who Hans should be that said, you need to go get Alan Rickman. And they, there's no um, com- comparison to like his other works to even take a shot on. But they were like, okay, a couple, couple test screenings. That's exactly what we think Hans should be. And oh boy, did he nail it. And going through his filmography that I've seen, I don't have like, a bad Alan Rickman performance. I know there's there's movies he's been in that I don't like, but he's he was really like a, one of the better character actors like ever. Oz, is that fair? You know, I I think it's sort of a bummer that he he's only a character actor because I I think that he's better than that. But you know, you go through the filmography and assembling my my list here and dabbling in some of the old work. I, I was just surprised that that. Time and time and time again, he's playing the villain or he's playing like the gruff mentor figure or something like that. And it's so rare that he actually plays the lead in something. And I'm sure part of that is because his 
passion is for West End and not for mm. not for making movies. I think that that certainly uh, plays into it. And the meta casting of a movie, I suspect, is going to show up on both of our lists in a few minutes here. But um, it, it is. It's a little bit. It's. I don't want to say it's a disappointing career because he's one of the most beloved character actors of the last you know the last forty years. But it's just, it, it's strange. It seems it's weird. He, he might be, uh, there are a bunch of people named you could throw out there, but is, is he the best actor never to get Academy Award nomination? Mm. I kind of think he might be. And it, it's, it's a bummer to think that we didn't get a, you know, let's all appreciate Alan Rickman and get him an Oscar sort of thing that happens for a lot of these long career, well-respected actors. Like I like Mark Rylance, who's probably a similar guy, but like Mark Rylance is like, has like 20% the career of Alan Rickman and already has his Oscar. And I, I just think it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a sad oversight. Maybe they'll give a, one of those lifetime achievement awards or something like that, but he's not here to appreciate it. So it's, it sucks. And the tough part is, and look, I, we waxed poetic about Spider-Man the last like seven days. So I can't hate on when you get stuck in a franchise for a while, but there is the reality that he played one character for eight movies throughout the 2000s in Harry Potter. Now we will talk about where that ranks on my list in just a second, but I almost wonder if because of that and his not seemingly not big interest in going for an Oscar, that he's really just here to do the job, to do great performances and then move on is why we get that, you know? Um, you nailed it, uh, much as a shame that we don't get any more Alan Rickman performances. Um, but with that being said, Oz, what are your top five Alan Rickman performances? So we're going to uh, start in a pretty easy place here. And the top dog is going to be Die Hard. I think it's, it's, it is one of the iconic action villains. It's one of the iconic... Uh, every. Every little aside in his line readings is amazing. The the scene between between him and Willis in the I, I don't know what they are the maintenance shafts where he shifts into the the Bill Clay mode is so good. I, I, and it's even the movie is so smart too because Willis is on it or, or McLean is on it the entire time. It's just it's such. It's such good beat for beat character acting. I love the part where he's listing off the names of like the aggrieved world liberators. And he, he turns to his head and it's like, I read about him in time. It's so funny. <laughs> I just, he, he's, he's perfect here. It, it, it encapsulates all of his sort of deadpan skills so beautifully that uh, Die Hard is going to be my top Alan Rickman performance. Uh, my number two, and you might be more of an expert here than I on this series, but I, I want to recognize Severus Snape generally. And as a result, I'm going to go with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, mm. which is the one where he has probably his most uh, you know, extreme dramatic arc. Uh, I think that any of these performances i mean there's more and some have more screen time some have less screen time uh this one is a pretty heavy screen time one and thus my my pick here i i will say and this may be a controversial thing and your your girlfriend may be done with me after i say this <laughs> i i think that he's so perfect in the christopher columbus ones the first two that he takes this character which is not all that interesting on the page and 
retroactively makes that character more interesting in the books. I think we care more about the Snape arc in the later books because we've seen Alan Rickman play this character on the screen. And, you know, maybe it's a little shade on J.K. Rowling there, but he's so good that he he brings the Page character to life a little bit more. And he is so far and away the best part of those first two not great Harry Potter movies that I... I adore him. Uh, number three, as as he is a moment ago, is going to be Galaxy Quest, uh, where he plays a Shakespearean actor who has no interest in doing franchise bullshit and is drawn back to uh, the sci-fi Star Trek riff show that he was on once upon a time. Uh, the this irony. Uh, <laughs> the <know>. irony. <laughs> this this movie is hilarious. It is it is really really funny. I I think he's perfect in it. And there you know there are some moments late in the movie where he he has to you know not just hate what he's doing and, and get into it a little bit. And he elevates there. He's really really good. And I uh, I really do like this movie. Uh, so mm-hmm. my number four, I'm gonna go with, and I'm a little torn on these. I'm gonna go with Sense and Sensibility. Uh, his it's one of the rare movies where he's the lead needs to be carried by him the entire time. Um, you uh, look sense and sensibility is either something that you're open to engaging with, or it's not, you, you know, where you stand on this, but it's a good version. Uh, and my number five, I'm going to go with, uh, Michael Collins, which is the, Irish revolutionary movie starring um, Liam Neeson. He is he's uh, you know basically the antagonist in that movie. Um, he's really good. Uh, again, though, he's stuck in character actor supporting place here. And there is one movie which I've heard he's wonderful in. I I've heard about it for a number of years, and I this I, it's like a fake honorable mention. I've never seen the movie Truly Madly Deeply. Mm. which is something that he's the lead in. It's from early in his career. I've heard it's quite good. It doesn't appear to be on streaming or you know exist on DVD or Blu-ray in a way that one can easily acquire. So uh, yeah, maybe he's great in that, but I don't know because our movie infrastructure is broken and things like that can't be found. So I promise I'm not doing this because of who I live with and because Rosina will disown me. But... I'm putting Severus Snape one. I'm putting Harry Potter and Half-Blood Prince is a good because of what happens with Snape and the reveal there. I actually like the moment in Order of the Phoenix where Harry finds out about his dad and it's from the the little time pool, the, the memory pool from Snape that he peers into and realizes why Snape has been so hostile the entire time. And it's literally that one look that Snape gives. Um, it's a, it's more of a thing across the board. I can go with any moment of, of Severus, but that's the character at least I'll think of when I, I as far as performances go, um, when I think of Alan Rickman, it's not like a distant from number two, which is Hans Gruber um, little backstory on the when he pretends to be was it Mike Clay uh, the, yep. the guy from LA so again they were rewriting a lot of the movie while the movie was being shot and uh D'Souza was trying to stay like 10 pages ahead of shooting as it was going on and they were trying to figure out a way to get McLean and Hans on screen at the same time so while they were at like lunch one day uh, Han, they asked Hans, can you do an American accent? And he did that Mike Clay 
voice and they were like all right we're writing this into the movie and that's why they were, they figured like okay so he hasn't seen his face yet or heard he hasn't heard his voice yet so all mclean knows is that like he sounds like this this he sounds like alan rickman and that's why when that scene happens it's it's it works perfectly you nailed it um th- i like the line also after he's killed uh mr takagi yep. where he says um he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. That that always makes me laugh every time <laughs> that happens. Um, Galaxy Quest is also my number three. By Grepthar's hammer, you shall be avenged, Oz. If Dr. Lazarus has anything to say about it, see Galaxy Quest if you've never seen it. Um, and as far as character acting goes, he's kind of a lead in this, although it's an ensemble performance. Uh, it's the holidays, so I will get my... Uh, poster boards out and write down some words and put love actually as my number four. Oh. Uh, I knew Oz was going to react this way. Um, He's the best I, part of a bad movie. He is yeah. the best part of that bad movie. And the arc where you get me to hate Alan Rickman for like half your movie and then his wife shows up and is uh, confronts him and you get them pretending that they've never done a movie together. Um, Emma Thompson, that would be. Uh, it, it's it's quite good, at least as far as I'm concerned. And then, so I haven't seen um, the last one you said, Michael Collins, I think it yep. is. I think he's, as I start to go into my honorable mentions, I think he's better in Sweeney Todd than my number five. I think he's better in Dogma than my number five, as far as a complete performance. Um, there is a movie that came out in 2015 that is a killer of a, a impactful war is hell. The army makes very conflicting decisions and um, it's a gigantic gut punch. It's called Eye in the Sky. And while he's really just doing the role for a while and giving orders as Lieutenant General Frank Benson, he has one scene at the end where he has, to me, the most iconic lines of the movie, where he's getting judged by, I guess, one of the assistants in the room. Um, the whole premise of the movie is that um, uh, the military has found where, like, the number two, four, and six most wanted terrorists are. And they're all in this one house, and it, they're deciding whether or not to push a button that will blow up said house. Meanwhile, there are civilians, specifically children nearby, that they have to decide whether it's worth it. And the entire movie is really shot like a play. And you go through the emotional, dramatic beats that are laid out throughout the movie. And Rickman is one of the generals in the room making one of the decisions. And while he's been, uh, someone is casting judgment on him, he says that, I think the exact line is that I've been at the aftermath of five different suicide bombings, never tell a soldier that he doesn't know the cost. And man, that, that line's always stuck with me when I think about what the military goes through. So uh, those are my number five. Um, Oz, any other honorable mentions for you? Uh, there's a movie which I, I only saw once and I just don't have a clear enough recollection of, but I, I recall him being good in it called Bottle Shock, which was a, a Sundance movie from like 15 years ago um, where he's a uh, where, or where it, it's basically about the story of the first time an American wine beat um, French wines in blind taste testing. Uh, I like wine. Um, if you've listened to our Skyfall episode, you know that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think this is a pretty good movie and a very good performance. Uh, and look, 
we we've said this there there are a lot of movies he's in that i I don't necessarily think are very good like i don't know the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is is not a very good movie marvin the paranoid android baby yeah he he (laughs) elevates he elevates all this stuff i mean dogma you brought up he's in that movie for like five minutes but elevates it Uh, he just he's good everywhere he brings his energy is so his deadpan energy is so perfect Uh, he's great Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Mr. Mystery Guest. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Unless you want to open a front door for me. Uh, no, I'm afraid not. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. So next up is a repeat category, but it leads into a category we can celebrate Hans Gruber. So is Die Hard a top five villain performance? I forget. Did this make yours? Well, let me read you my list so okay, that you, can, you can find out in real time. I have a little suspense. So my my top five villains were and remain. Uh, number one, Hannibal Lecter. Number two, the Ledger version of the Joker. Number three, Darth Vader. Number four, Hans Gruber. Ah, we got and, points here. Okay. And number five, uh, I think I I left it between Norman Bates and Anton Chigurh and ended up going with Anton Chigurh. And I'm going to stay there with Anton Chigurh as my number five. Okay. Hans Gruber gets points here. All right. Well, it's a good thing we did the... Re- it's probably why you suggested we do this repeat category because Hans Gruber gets points here. Um, my top five and still my top five are Darth Vader, the Joker, Pennywise, the Terminator, um, the one from the first Terminator, not the T-1000 from T-2 Judgment Day. Uh, and then Thanos will be my number five. Um, then we go to, is Die Hard a top five or have a top five action movie villain? So what are the qualifications to be a good action movie villain? Um, you need to have a thirst for power or greed, right, Oz? I, I think that's... Fair with one exception on my list. Yes. Okay. Uh, you need to have a well-trained militia of henchmen, right? Sure. Sure. Um, uh, you have to take a hostage. I think you have to take a hostage, right? <laughs> sure. Why not? And not only like a hostage, but like hostages. If you're really good action movie villain, um, you also have to like one of the hostages has to be somewhat related to the protagonist, which will create a dilemma about or at least an, an emotional attachment to make this mean that much more. Right. I, I almost know where you're going here. Yes. Yes. I agree. Um, explosives. Sure. Always, always special. Um, terrible aim with automatic weapons. Well, that's that's just a villain in any movie. Right. But specifically in an action movie or an 80s sure. action movie, even more so. Yep. Uh, true. Is there anything else on the list that I'm missing? 
no, I think that's good. I think you need to be foreign, especially in an American action movie. <laughs> <laughs> especially in the 80s, yes. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, so the one piece of research I'll throw at you, the ending of the movie when Hans is falling from the building after he uh, is shot by McLean and falls out the window and is, is holding on to, to the Holly's watch. He was hanging from a built ledge in a warehouse with a parachute at the bottom so that way he could fall. And they were like, you're going to do the stunt, right? And it was the last shot of the performance. He was rapping at the, the end of one stunt. And so what they did to him without telling him, knowing it was his last day, was, okay, we're going to drop you on three. It's going to be three, two, one, go. And so what they did was three, two, and dropped him without knowing. So the reaction you get in the movie of his look of shock and fear is authentic. Because he actually didn't know he was about to fall like that, which I mean, sucks what they did to him, but also gave us a pretty enhanced moment there, at least. Those are the things I appreciate about movies when they go the extra mile. I understand it's probably like harassment and torture. I, say, I, I think you get fired from directing movies. Well, if you now, do that shit now you but. get canceled, but I'm okay with it back in 1988. Um, Okay, I think it's so. Technically, it's your turn to go first because I was supposed to go first for villain performances. Um, Oz, your top five action movie villains. Oh, it shouldn't be a surprise considering it showed up on my villain list that my number one action movie villain is going to be Hans Gruber in Die mm-hmm. Hard. Uh, my number two is a movie that I've I've not given sufficient love to on this podcast over the over the many months we've been doing it, and that's Face Off, uh, and that's going to be Caster Troy yeah! from, from Face Off. You you well can pick you can pick which version you want because we have two actors who play Caster Troy in this movie. Uh, Caster Troy is awesome. This is a great, iconic, horrifying, murderous, rapey villain. Uh, just, just good shit all around from both Cage and Travolta. Um, oh boy, this this would it's already ranked <laughs> on the on the Travolta list, and it, it would certainly show up on the Cage list someday. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, my number three. I, I'm being a little squidgy with action movies here, and perhaps may have something to do with something that's coming out in movie theaters that I'm seeing today as we record. Mm. Uh, I'm going to have Agent Smith, uh, and not from not from the Matrix, but from the Matrix Reloaded, which is where I think he goes a little hammier, a little more over the top, and it's a lot more fun. That's where you get the. Mr. Anderson sort of line readings. And it's so fucking goofy. And I I love it. And usually I don't go for these sort of big scenery chewing bullshit performances. But that movie is so batshit and crazy that it really works. So I'm going with Hugo Weaving for the Matrix Reloaded here. My number four, uh, uh, I guess I do like some 80s shit, uh, is going to be Bodie, uh, Patrick Swayze in Point Break. Uh, that that movie is awesomely bad and super fun, and it only works because of the chemistry between between Swayze's Bodhi and and the Keanu Reeves character. Oh shit, I've got a lot of Keanu on this list. Yeah, I was but, say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm going with Bodhi from Point Break. And finally, my number five, we have to do one of the the stoic sorts. I'm going to do the T-1000 from Terminator Two, uh, the Robert Patrick. Uh, liquid metal performance. I, I think this this is a genuinely chilling character that haunted my six year old mind, and uh, I think he is fantastic here. And look, sometimes scary on killable stoic machines are are interesting. 
So the T-1000. So I mentioned just now in my villains list, the Terminator is my number four. What I did was in honor of Alan Rickman and Hans Gruber, it's my number one for action movie villains while recognizing that the T-800 and the T-1000 then go um, number two and number three. So this way, it's not like my number one and number two bumping Hans down to number three. I'll make Hans number one and have the eight. Look, the T-800, I just can't get over the fact that the first time I saw that movie, he shot like a house mom in the face like 15 minutes into the movie. That is a <laughs> thing that happens. And I'm like, oh, it's Arnold. Oh, it's No, he shoots a housewife in the face. Like broad daylight. Are you Sarah Connor? Yes. Bang. That happens 10, 15 minutes into the movie. And it's like stuck with me ever since. And then he comes back in the second movie as a good guy, but I'm still not over the fact that he might turn around and shoot some house bomb. Just be careful, John Connor. Um, my number four is where I had to pay homage to one of my favorite franchises in mission impossible. And I went with Owen Davian, the Philip Seymour Hoffman, villain from Mission Impossible 3. He has a, a chilling scene that is teased at the beginning and you get to see the entirety of it toward the end. It's a great YouTube rewatch too where he's threatening to kill um, I believe it's it's Ethan Hunt. Um, Sean Monaghan. It's Ethan Hunt's wife, right? Yep. So um, yeah, I'll go Owen Davian as my number four. And I have to make sure that you understand that this is my list. It may not translate to other people. I had to be honest with what my personal number five would be for action movie villains. Have you ever seen the movie uh, The Last Dragon? Uh, I don't even think I know what that is. Never heard of it? Okay. So in 1987, a movie called The Last Dragon came out and a character named Shonuff, the Shogun of Harlem. Oh, I have seen this. I know Okay. This This movie is hilarious. Um, the martial arts of this movie are even funnier. It is peak 80s. When we ever do a 1987 list, this will be very close to the top for me. Uh, It's one of my favorite 80s rewatches too. Um, So yeah, I'll go go Julius Carey as Shonuff, the Shogun of Harlem. Uh, And then Caster Troy, that's funny, Caster Troy, Agent Smith, Bodie, and then The Predator are my four honorable mentions. Uh, the Predator is a good one. I, I was thinking, um, oh God, fucking Lethal Weapon. The Gary Busey character in Lethal Weapon, whose name yeah. is escaping me, is is quite good. Uh, and the guy, the name is also escaping me, in Leon the Professional. Is, oh, good call. Yeah, is an awesome villain. Uh, so yeah, those will be my those will be my alternates here. It's funny. I had to eliminate because and so many of these lists doing research they have like marvel movies involved and superhero yeah. movies no superheroes they're not action movies they're exactly movies. i took out like the joker was listed as an action movie villain it's like wait a minute i know this is the joker is the villain in a superhero movie that's what that's how that works and even uh, if you're going to even if you're going to parse then you got to parse within comic book bullshit itself and like yeah. maybe shang chi or winter soldier is an action movie but like the you know, Batman is not an action movie. Go on. We have a pregnant woman out there. Relax, she's not due for a couple of weeks, but sitting on that rock isn't doing her back any good. So I would like permission to move her to one of the offices where there's a sofa. No, but I'll have a sofa brought out to you. Good enough? Good enough. And unless you like it messy, I'd start bringing us in groups to the bathroom. Yes, you're right. It will be done. Was there something else? No, thank you. 
Mr. Takagi chose his people well, Mrs. Gennaro. Miss Gennaro. Next up, we go to the year 1988. Is Die Hard a top five movie of 1988? Which lets me go to my favorite game in asking Mr. Ozraski if he knows the top five highest grossing movies of 1988. So I need to correct something from earlier. I told you that uh, 181 million is how much Die Hard made. Um, that is adjusted for inflation, actually. I've completely misled you because Die Hard did not make the top six in 1988 at the box office. Can you name those top six, though? Oh, God. Um, this, is, this, is, this is a rough one for me. Can I give I, you a gigantic hint? Um, sure. The best picture winner was the number one movie of the year. So the good old days. Now we have the best picture winners that make $6 million or $0. Like never know. The dog wins. When, when Spider-Man No Way Home makes wins best picture this year, then it'll be able to return to form. Uh, let me say something crazy on Spider-Man just to sidetrack us for 10 seconds here. Mm-hmm. There, I, I think there's, tweet, a, yeah. there's a 10% chance that Spider-Man gets nominated for best picture it yeah it's going to get the sound and visual effects nominations it's on the short list for both of those uh it's going to get a producer's guild nomination because they care about box office success and cinema scores and things like that i think there is a small chance a very small chance uh that it it gets in because there's enough people in the industry who say to themselves you know what? We want the Academy Awards to still mean something. And nobody on earth except for Bernardo Zorowski cares about the movie. Come on, come on. So maybe instead of voting for come on, come on, I should try to get people to give a fuck about the Oscars again by tossing Spider-Man in the mix. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think there's at least a small chance. Uh, okay. So Rain Man was, is our top dog. I, I'm already hurting after that. I have to look at movies I liked that year and just cross my fingers and say coming to America is number three. Okay. That's, that's not bad. Uh, big is number four. Knowing the Die Hard is out is painful. Uh, good morning, Vietnam. Good morning, Vietnam is I'm having trouble finding it. Oh, fuck. Yeah. That's, that's not good. Uh, I thought that was a hit. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is number 10. I'm going to assume Bull Durham is lower than that. Um, Bull Durham is much lower than that. Hold on. Roger Rabbit? Who framed Roger Rabbit? Number two. So you're just missing number five now. I'm, I need help. Twins. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And then Crocodile Dundee 2 is number six. Ahead of Die Hard this the year. Crocodile Dundee movies being huge hits are so weird. Is there yeah. any franchise that was so successful that is more forgotten? I, I just, nobody has, has watched those movies. It's like the earnest movies for me. Oh, that's another good either, one. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, so yeah, there's your, there's your top six at the box office this year. Um, to Die Hard's point, again, it made 81 million at the box office domestically and then close to 30 million worldwide. Um, or 30 to 50 million worldwide. And then adjusted for inflation is 181. Um, this movie did not make a lot its opening weekend and it became a word of mouth thing that the guy from Moonlighting is actually in the greatest action movie of all time. So that explains the, the slow rollout and why this movie over time has built up its legacy. Um, Oz, 1988, your top five movies. Number one, Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, 
It's going to be a film I talked about on our Daniel Day-Lewis episode about the Prague Spring called The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Just just let me have my criterion shit. Uh <laughs> My number, my number three, uh, is one of the better romantic comedies and one of the better sports movies ever made, and is also in the Criterion Collection. And that's Bull Durham. Really, Bull uh-huh. Durham's in the Criterion Collection? It is. Yeah, there's some oh. crazy shit in the Criterion Collection. My, like my people, I, Ar- my Armageddon people. and the Rocker in the Criterion Collection. Stop it! Armageddon is in yeah. the Criterion Collection. Uh huh. Hard boiled is. Did in they there. watch Armageddon, dude? Michael Bay is a really interesting visual director. He's actually incredibly skilled and talented. He just, you know, puts his skill towards evil most of the time. Okay. Can we get Bad Boys 2 in there next? I would I would totally support yeah. a, a full <laughs> Michael Bay filmography in the Criterion Collection. Hell yes. Uh, also, if you go like the olden days of the Criterion Collection, when it first started and was on like laser discs, there are like four Bond movies in the Criterion Collection. Really? The early okay. days are the early days are nuts. Um, all right. So number four is uh, Beetlejuice, which is, I think, one of Tim Burton's better movies. Uh, it's a wonderful, scary, bizarre as fuck Michael Keaton performance. Uh, and number five, I also in the Criterion Collection, I, I don't know if this movie is allowed anymore or not, or maybe our podcast will get banned in China for me saying this, but The Last Emperor is quite a good movie about the last emperor of uh, the Chinese dynasties. Um, this is a good, albeit very, 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 very long movie um, that I am not actually sure that I would recommend to most of our listeners because it's a bit of a it's a bit of it's a bit of a grind um but i think it is quite good and uh yeah that's that's what we're going with we're going with the last emperor how far down is coming to america it's on my honorable mentions i like coming to america okay i toyed with it being number one that's how much i love coming to america um unfortunately well not unfortunately it's my very close number two um, I went with Die Hard, obviously, at number yes. one. Uh, Coming to America, number two. Bull Durham is my number three. This is actually... There's a gap after my number three. This is was my easiest three to write down. These are toward the top in all three of their genres. Action, comedy, and then baseball. You know? Um, Rain Man's my number four. I actually really, really enjoy that movie. It's it's a heartfelt and, and in a way that... Especially being so okay. Personal can mean private sometimes. Um, I have a brother with a learning disability. It's mild, but I relate to a lot of the themes in this movie. Not to the extreme that this movie takes it, but the way other people look at your relationship. I've never taken my brother to Vegas so he can count cards, obviously, <laughs> but. I understand the empathy that you have to have. And Rain Man hits hit really hits really hard for me in, in a lot of different ways. And then another movie, I don't even know if you've seen it or heard of it. So when I was in college going to broadcasting school, Oz, um, I learned about the story of Alan Burke. He was a Denver talk radio host that was killed by white supremacists for his very combative style on the radio. Um, the two white supremacists that uh, let's just call them Nazis that murdered him have been sentenced like 200 years in prison. Then an actor named Eric Bogosian adapted that story, a book written by Al- about Alan Berg um, into a play. And that play was then adapted into a movie directed by Oliver Stone in 1988 
called talk radio. Um, Bergosian plays uh, Barry Champlin or Champlain. I forget how they pronounce the name. This is a cautionary tale for anybody with a microphone in front of them. This is why I warn people not to be too combative when it comes to talking to people because you never know who's going to take what you say too seriously. And there's a Christian Bale fan out there who's like sharpening right, right now. Exactly. Like the point being is that this movie and this story was brought to me in college and is used in a lot of broadcasting worlds to teach you to how to talk on the radio and how to make it more conversational. The version that Bogosian plays, the Barry character is over the top, but there's a lot of Mike Francesa to him too and how combative he is and how curmudgeonal he can be with his callers. So talk radio is going to be my number five. And I I kind of gave away the movie, but I highly recommend it as well. It's Yo, available. That's a good movie. It's a very good movie, especially if you want to get into podcasting, which is the new version of talk radio. Um, I don't think we can do the rapid fire for 1988. So it's a little rougher. Uh, you know, I'll say, can I, can I just vamp on talk radio for a minute? That, that's, that's a great call that I should have had on my honorable mention list, but it just didn't, it didn't percolate to my mind. I'm not a huge Oliver Stone guy, so that might be why, but that is like a, a baby faced Alec Baldwin in it. Mm -hmm. uh, John C. McGinley, who went on to play Dr. Cox in Scrubs, is in there in one of his earliest performances. Like baby Leslie Hope is in there. That is a, that's a really good movie. And Oliver Stone is better when he's grounded. And this is like mm. a very grounded movie. That's that's a good pull. Yeah. That, I remember watching it in college and I had just started doing college radio. So that always stuck in my mind anytime I wanted to say something controversial. What happens? To the Barry character. Um, my only honorable mentions, you said Beetlejuice, a movie that I got yelled at by my mom for even acknowledging might be good called The Last Temptation of Christ. Um, we talked about it when we talked about Scorsese. I think we talked about it with Willem Dafoe I last did. week. Yep. I made sure to, uh, it was also in my top five, but I made sure to distance it from any consideration for my top five from 88 this year. Uh, remembering more things that have happened in that movie. And then because I was born this year, a movie that I watched a ton as a kid um, shortly after 1988 called the land before time. Um, it's that's a series. I can't wait to show my kids unless I end up like Oz and we're watching matrix until three in the morning. Uh, there's like 19 of those land before time movies now. Um, it's crazy. They, they kept keep going. Grinding them out. Really? Yeah. They keep grinding them out like straight to video. Oh, wow. Look, just one reminder. We go with the U.S. release dates on these things. So, you know, my poll of Last Emperor, it says 1987 on IMDb. It came out in the U.S. 1988. So it's 1988 movie for our purposes. And, you know, like, like Oscar, non-foreign film Oscar purposes. Uh, my runners up are because uh, we've gotten some grief on that and lists in the past. Uh, my my runners up are going to be a fish called Wanda, which has mm, come call. up here before, which is a very, very good, very funny movie. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ. I apologize to your mom is on there. <laughs> Rain Man. I, I recognize why people don't love Rain Man anymore, but I think Rain Man is is one of Tom Cruise's better performances. I think it's a good movie. Uh, I like Big, Coming to America, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Those are good, populist, crowd-pleasing, happy ways to spend two hours. Next up is Die Hard, a top five movie of the 1980s. So I teased when we did the Raiders of the Lost Ark episode that there is a movie ahead of Raiders that um, 
I love more just a little bit. And I've, I've gone back and forth with what my favorite movies of the eighties are for a while. Top gun was for a while back to the future was, and going through the diehard franchise and the research for this movie this week, a lot of it with a fever and in my bed while I work on my phone most of the time, just solidified that this is my favorite movie of the 1980s. So this will end up being my number one of the 80s. I have a best of the decade nominee in front of me. And I haven't totaled up my score yet. I'm actually realizing this might be close to the highest score I've had so far. Die Hard is my number one. Raiders of the Lost Ark is my number two. And then I will let the rest of the list show up as we... Because all three of these could come up in the future. Um, So that'll be my top two so far, the 80s. Oz, is Die Hard a top five movie of the 1980s for you? So Raiders of the Lost Ark is also my number two in the 80s, as revealed back in episode three. Mm -hmm. Um, This does not make my top five for the 80s, but it's it's very close. It's certainly in the top 10 or 12 of the 80s. Bummer to leave it out because I've, mm-hmm. I've certainly watched this more than the others. I, I probably, in my heart, care about it more than the others. I just don't think it's as good as certain masterpieces by certain auteurs who've come up in this episode. In fact, so uh, okay. with, with much love to to Die Hard, and uh, it's not going to make my eighties list. I'm going to be curious one day when we do those movies. If they're the rest, because I do have some like prestige stuff in my like in my list. It's not going to be in my five, I don't think. But there is some stuff that from a, from directors we've done so far that make my like seven or eight short list. You know, I'm I think that we'll probably end up doing three of these eventually. One's okay. a little a little more out there. Okay. This is Deputy Chief of Police Dwayne T. Robinson, and I am in charge of this situation. Oh, you're in charge. Well, I got some bad news for you, Dwayne. From up here, it doesn't look like you're in charge of jack shit. You listen to me, you little asshole. I'm a- Asshole? I'm not the one who just got butt-fucked on national TV, Dwayne. <laughs> now, you listen to me, jerk-off. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Quit being part of the fucking problem and put the other guy back on. Hey, Roy, how you feeling? Pretty fucking unappreciated, Al. Well, it's time to talk about action movies. Is Die Hard a top five action movie? Uh, we're going to do back-to-back action movie categories, one just the general genre, and then we'll do the 80s in just a second. I hinted earlier, Oz, there are four words that I say, or more importantly, a four-word question that I ask that matter to me when it comes to action movies. And it's, did you see that? And it's usually what I'll say in an action movie that if I say that at any point during the movie takes it up a level and it's why Die Hard is held in such high regard because the first time I saw the movie I just like did you see that like we've talked a lot about the the blueprint that was created because of Die Hard but in action movies in general what will usually catch my attention is the shock and awe and hype of did you see that um how does it define for you I think that's a good way to 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 think of it I mean I I let, let's use James Bond as an example here. If okay. there are, if there's a Bond movie where I think to myself, "Holy shit, that action scene!" Uh, I think it's it's fair play here. And I think for all these movies, if I'm like, "Holy shit, that action scene was incredible," or "This thing was in, was fantastic," um, then it falls under the the action umbrella for me. Mm-hmm. I went I went 
big tent on action movies here. So we're, we're, we're going to throw in, you know, I, I'm, I'm including martial arts movies and action movies here today. Um, we're, we're, we're going to be inclusive. I'm not going to do the sort of pure genre stuff. So you're not going to hear, you're not going to hear Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I'm counting as more of kind of an adventure movie, even though I, I adore it. Um, yeah, I, I think this is, this is a list that I'm, I'm, I feel quite passionately about all these movies. So then without further ado, your top five action movies. Is it, it's my turn. All right. So yeah, I did my, my, I did a countdown of the eighties. Yeah. All right. So my number one is going to be my favorite bond movie, which is casino Royale. I mm-hmm. think it is, uh, to the extent we're counting spy action as action, uh, which I am, I think this is the greatest bond movie. I think this is one of the greatest action movies ever made. I think everything about it's incredible. I think the, the, the scene where they're fighting on that crane at the beginning is so iconic and awesome. And just, the Craig's physicality in the role is off the charts strong. All the action beats work here. Even like everyone's kind of tired because this is a long movie by the time you get to Venice. And that Venom, the Venom, that Venice shootout scene is so cool and well executed. I just this movie is is fucking fantastic. It's Did you just small. spoil the rest of your list? <laughs> yes, there Venom, Venom, <laughs> Venom 2, and Let Spider-Man there be 3 cards. fill yeah. out my <laughs> fill out my list. Uh, my number two is going to be Die Hard, which is amazing. It's basically a perfect action movie. Uh, we've we've um, praised it plenty. My number three uh, is a movie called The Raid Redemption, which is, I, I think, the greatest modern martial arts movie. It is about uh, cops who go into a giant tower owned by a drug lord and then proceed to brutally, basically murder uh, every bad guy in everybody in incredibly graphic, unbelievably graphic action scenes. Uh, it is like the mold for what action editing looks like now in everything else. I mean, you, there's like a direct line for, you know, from R rated to PG 13, but from uh, the raid to Shang-Chi, I mean, it is the, the, the graphicness and physicality here is incredible. It's full of these amazing long takes uh it brought eco uai who's probably our 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 greatest active martial arts actor today uh into the limelight holy shit the raid is awesome the sequel is really good too mm-hmm. but it's like three hours long and and clutches a little bit as a result but the even the raid too is a movie where you're like you watch the first fight scene and you're like there's no way they can improve on that it's this giant like prison yard battle. And then like 20 minutes later, there's this car chase, which is as bonkers as anything I've ever seen in a movie. And I don't know how like 50 people didn't die making it. So uh, the raid series is fucking great. My number four, I, I don't care if this is premature. I, 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 it's like my comfort food movie lately. It's John Wick. I love John Wick. I think it's awesome. I, I think it's, it, I, I like the clean simplicity of this one. Um, as opposed to the sequels, I think it's the best of the series, though I understand why someone would like the more elaborate nature of, of the second or the third. Uh, just the simple story of a man who's very upset that um, that Reek killed his puppy. So yeah. he hunts down and kills, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people over the course of the series. Uh, it perfectly encapsulates what's good about Keanu Reeves, his physicality, his 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 actually his lack of emotion is perfect here it's it's really good shit um this is a movie that i i the fifth for me is going to be a movie that i i truly adore it's it's not 
quite entirely an action movie. I think it's it's perhaps better than all of the other movies on this list objectively, but because I have some question about it of its actionness, it's going to fall to fifth, and that's Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. Uh, this movie's fucking awesome. The the practical car stunts are are just mind blowing. This is another one where when I watch the movie and I say to myself, I don't see the CGI and I don't know how people didn't die making it. That's what I want in my action scenes. If this looks like a whole fuckload of people should have died making it, all of these long cuts, the edits are purposeful and impactful. This movie is really, really, really awesome. And it's the sort of movie where when you finish it, you're like, oh shit, my heart rate has actually been elevated for the last two hours. Mad Max Fury Road is great. I got excited for a second that when you were talking about the car uh, stunts in the movie that you were going to say Fast Five. <laughs> I love and Fast Five, actually. I love, it's, it's on it's my honorable mentions. I was, this, I was trying so hard to credibly put Fast Five on my top five, but I couldn't. It's my number eight. Um, however, you did mention a couple of mine already. Um, my number one is Die Hard, but man, did I come really close to putting the Raid Redemption at number two. That movie is insane. And it's as if all the shooting scenes, because it's it's a foreign film. So like here, we don't have the same comedic beats that that Willis hits or or that Hans hits in in the raid. Um, it's just pure action to the entire out the entire movie. So imagine if all the shooting scenes, like the scene on top of the roof when they're shooting at him and then he ends up in the elevator shaft. Imagine if the entire movie is that, yeah, that, that that's the raid redemption The raid one, I guess you'd call it. Um, you mentioned the actor E. Uh, Eco Uai, yeah. He's also in a movie called the The Night Comes for Us that yes, came out a I couple years ago. Oh man, that movie's the, fucking badass. The, and Joe Joe Taslam is in it too, who plays his brother in the raid. That the movie's gra- fucking great. The graphic nature of the movies that this guy does, the action movies that this guy does, I, I mean, it works when it's staged correctly, and it's not just like the Rob Zombie gore that I don't like. Um, yeah, uh, the Raid Redemption. It's it's like two ninety nine on Apple if you want to check it out to rent. I if you're just looking for a fun action movie over the holiday breaks, I highly recommend it. Um my number three is Teach You Judgment Day. My number four, again I have to stick with a fran in fact I just realized the last three for me are franchise films. So T2 Judgment Day is number three. Um Mission Impossible Fallout is my number four. I could easily be swayed on Ghost Protocol. I could easily be swayed on the first Mission Impossible. I think Fallout to me has the most did you see that of the franchise for me at least and then John Wick one I like from the okay I shouldn't say I like from the moment the dog dies but from the moment he has been triggered lack of no pun intended lack of a better word triggered to then just murder everybody that's the only movie that the entirety of the movie I like. So I went with John Wick 1, but from the moment the bounty is put out in John Wick 2 until the end, I like the first 45 minutes of John Wick 3, the knife fight that happens in the in the knife shop in the beginning when he kills Boban with a book. I understand it happened in the Bourne movie and you were dying to tell me that, Oz. I still like when he killed Boban with a book in John Wick 3 and then we'll see what happens in John Wick 4. So those are my top five. Uh, I I respect the hell out of that top five. It's a great top five. This was really this was a really difficult exercise mm-hmm. for me. I love action movies. I love well crafted action scenes. Like that, the reason that I 
love Shang-Chi so much as the superhero bullshit goes is because it's the best action movie that's ever been done in a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I, I could list 50 honorable mentions here, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to limit myself and just go by a couple series or, or filmmakers here and say that John Woo should be recognized. Mm. I, I would probably pick hard boiled, but face off or the killer are, are totally reasonable options. I, I think we should recognize Jackie Chan. Mm. Um, I mentioned drunken master in a past episode, which is my favorite Jackie Chan movie, but police story in the criterion collection. Police yeah. story is also uh, really excellent. And it's sequels. I love fast five. I don't care if that's an unpopular take. I love the rock and Armageddon. Michael Bay is good at action. Uh, I, I like the first three born movies in particular, I think are good action. Uh, I I'm totally with you on any of mission impossible four five or six are, are very, very reasonable choices, especially because of their dedication to practical non or minimal CGI stunt work. So fast five, I've talked about my affinity for the fast franchise and how much I enjoy that shit. Um, I'll say fate of the furious, uh, that entire sequence on the lake, especially when the rock leans out the, the side of the car and redirects the torpedo with his hand is like, again, did you see that? I, I could not believe that they were going for it. I could not believe that I was enjoying it. And just the entire physics of it all that they're, in a high-speed chase running away from a submarine. And not once did I ever question how they're out driving the submarine. And then that's the least, that's less believable, or less unbelievable, I should say, than the rock redirecting a torpedo. That that's a that's the most jump the shark high highs I have in the, the fast franchise action movies. Have, have what I don't think we've ever talked about F9. What what do you think of F9? I think it's like mid tier I miss the rock and Statham. That's like the biggest thing I could say about it is that it's clearly missing that element of these guys know how to do action. Vin Diesel is the heart of the movie. We need to use him sparingly because when you take the people he's been feuding with out of the franchise, then he's going to make the story about him. And then it's like this drama about his brother that I did not care about, even though the whole concept of the movie is family. Um, yeah, I I think it's mid tier. The there are some really fun action set pieces, and I mean, spoiler alert: they go to space. I wish they had actually like let Tyrese fly a rocket, and I would have been great. Not like let's have a car and then one acceleration. But yeah, they went to space, which I guess was always the plan all along. Yeah, I think F nine is the one that goes too far for me. I, I quite and maybe it's because John Cena is very bad, but I mm. quite quite hated um fast nine but yeah I, I generally i like the fast series yeah i didn't so i'm i've i'm always gonna grade on a curve with these things because they make me say those four words enough um i'm not gonna defend fast nine to anybody again they're missing two of my favorite characters from the franchise the rock and jason statham um, i like hobbs and shaw more than i liked I like hobbs and shaw. yeah i figure you're here to negotiate am i right you're amazing. You figured this all out already. <laughs> hey, business is business. You use a gun, I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? Let's put it in my terms. You're here in a hostile takeover. You grab us for some green mail, but you didn't expect some poison pill was going to be running around in the building. Am I right? Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. I must have missed 60 minutes. What are you saying? The guy upstairs is fucking things up, huh? 
I can give them to you. Next up is Die Hard, a top five 80s action movie. So what about the 80s made action movies different, Oz? Well, the 80s, as we've discussed, has a very uh, Reagan-esque um, America fuck yeah persona that under underlies um, what 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 makes everything work here. Uh, it tends to be very propaganda. It tends to be very uh, anti-foreign. It tends to be pretty racist, um, which it is what it is. Those were the 80s. We were born then. It's not our fault. Uh <laughs> I'll say that with with 80s action, I opened up my category a little bit more to include things that I I would generally consider more in the in the sci-fi action range. So you know, there there are movies on my list that I did not consider for action movie that are on my 80s list, perhaps in part so that I don't have to have like First Blood Part Two on here and can put something that I actually feel passionately about on my list. So I wanted to try and be different and mix it up a bit. But looking at my list, my five are five very obvious 80s action movies. Me too, actually. It's, basic, it, it's This is basic bitch 80s cinema here. So I'll just go ahead and read them. Die Hard's my number one. The Terminator's my number two. Top Gun's my number three. Predator's my number four. And Lethal Weapon is my number five. Although I could be convinced to put Aliens at my number five over Lethal Weapon. Because I think the best scene of the Lethal Weapon franchise is the entire sequence on the toilet when they have the bomb underneath, which is in Lethal Weapon 2. But I'll, I'll stick with Lethal Weapon for now. Uh, we have a ton of overlap here. Uh, my number one is Die Hard. My number two, I'm going with Aliens, which I'm counting as an 80s action movie, mm-hmm. even though it didn't make my action movie list. <laughs> uh, fuck you, Consistency. This is like my ambulance moment, but uh, this is this aliens rocks and look gunplay action is a big part of 80s cinema and this is really good gunplay action. It's just, you know, shooting alien thingamajigs. Uh, My number three is a movie that did not make your list, but I think you're going to say, oh, that's a good call when I say it right now. And that's Robocop. Yes. Which is both. Which is both the ultimate of this sort of 80s aesthetic and also undercuts this 80s aesthetic. And if you'd like to see an interesting movie by the same director, Paul Verhoeven, Benedetta just came out on various streaming services uh, the day before we're recording this, which is his movie about lesbian nuns. And I will say that it has a a dildo carved from an image of Jesus in it, which is something (laughs) that is not. Uh, it's something I've never seen in a movie before. So uh, that's interesting to me. Hold on. Two things. One, mom, don't watch it. And two, you got to be. I'm very sorry, clear. Claudio family. You got to be very clear when what you mean when you say interesting movie, when you say recommend to people. A it's, movie not just like a, it's not just a porno. It is, it is a good movie. It played at New York Film Fest. It is legitimate art. Uh, it's a good movie. Though there were like protests at the New York Film Festival, man, conservative Christian folks is a wild ride. Is it's a it's a it's a wacky movie. Yes, Uh, my number four is Top Gun, which is good. I like Top Gun, uh, and I hope that you know maybe they decide to release the sequel at some point this millennium. Uh, And my number five is The Terminator. Okay, so we have a lot of crossover. So you mentioned this before the pod about like action adjacent movies, and we've discussed a lot of my honorable mentions before. So like Raiders of the Lost Ark, I mentioned Aliens, Escape from New York. If it wasn't that we've already featured them in other categories that are like dystopian or action adventure or sci-fi, then I probably would have 
Oh yeah, I said I would. I said I would consider aliens for this list. So I think that's even harder, or even stronger of a consideration. The only other two that I have here are Roadhouse, the Patrick Swayze movie where he can rip somebody's uh, throat out with his bare hands. And again, did you see that? Uh, and then Beverly Hills Cop. Um, although I prefer the sequel significantly more. Um, your honorable mentions. Uh, I'm gonna have. I I should have had Beverly Hills Cop on mine, so I'm gonna put Beverly Hills Cop on mine as well. Uh, from your list, Lethal Weapon and Predator, and let's pick one like really shitty quintessential '80s action movie to throw on there. I'll go with Bloodsport because Bloodsport is fucking wacky. Good uh, call. I I I like that movie. That 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 really leans into the oh my god, this shit is dumb of it all. Uh, actually, you know, Commando is fine too. Let's throw Commando on my on my alternate list as well. You use the correct word. Commando is fine. <laughs> Not, hey, no his shade. His name is fucking John Matrix. Okay. That that's, about as, that's about as 80 shit as it gets. That's why I was asking you if we wanted to just be uh, uniform with this, with our action leads, you can go John Wick, John, uh, John McClain, John Matrix. And there was one other John. John Rambo. We could go with John Rambo. There you go. So we just say all the Johns that unfortunately leave off the, the other ones like Ethan Hunt and Jason Bourne. <laughs> um, last but not least. Oh, by the way, Beverly Hills Cop is 1987. So I can we can put it in the 80s. So I'll put Beverly Hills Cop 2, I should say. Beverly Hills Cop 2, the Tony Scott one, is one I prefer. So I'll go Beverly Hills Cop 2 over Beverly Hills Cop. A clarification that only matters to me, but I'm glad you guys got to hear that as well. Hi there. How you doing? Oh, please, God, no. You're one of them, aren't you? You're one of them. No, don't, don't kill me, please. No, please. Don't kill me, don't kill me, please. Whoa, please, whoa, please, whoa, please, relax. Please. Relax, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to hurt you. The fuck are you doing up here? What were you looking for? I managed to get out of there, and, uh, well, I was just trying to get up on the roof, and see if I could signal for help, you know. It's just from here. Why, do, why don't you come in and help? Oh, 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 oh. Uh, we go. Forget the roof. Come on, come on. I said forget the roof. I got people all over. Come on, you want to stay alive? You stay with me. Last but not least, probably the most important category we're going to do today is Die Hard a top five Christmas movie. Um, first of all, not only do I agree with you that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, but doing the research for this pod, and man, I mentioned that Jeb Stewart adapted this movie from a book that was supposed to be the a sequel to Frank Sinatra's movie, The Detective. And the consistent thing he was told by the studio as he was adapting it was like, get creative with it if you'd like, but keep the Christmas in LA storyline as part of the main cog of the movie. So literally this movie was made with Christmas in mind. And I think as the reason that Die Hard ever is not considered a Christmas movie is because we've commercialized Christmas entirely too much to think of East Coast Christmas, specifically Northeast Coast Christmas, specifically New York <laughs> Christmas is the only place where Christmas happens. And as a result, if it doesn't have snow, if they're not wearing red and green, it's not Christmas, right? And it's why Die Hard is not only a Christmas movie. I think it's an essential Christmas movie to take away from that 
stereotype or trope, if you want to call it that, and let people know Christmas happens other places where the sun is out year round. So that is my little uh, thesis on why Die Hard is indeed a Christmas movie. I agree with every word you just said. Look, this movie starts with with fucking Run DMC's yes. Christmas and Hollis. So this this is good shit. Uh, it, it is ultimately a Christmas movie. There's Christmas music throughout, Christmas staging. It's set at a Christmas party. It is all about a family that has been torn apart, being brought back together. <laughs> and what else do you want in a Christmas story except a family coming together in love and support to kill vaguely German Russian terrorists? <laughs> vaguely, yeah. Um, before we get to our list, what's your favorite holiday for movies? Oh, Christmas. Definitely Christmas? Christmas. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I watch, I, 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 we, we just watch like bad Christmas movies all the time. Date mm. Hard or The Princess <laughs> Switch or a, any of these stupid fucking things that come up on Netflix. We watch like crazy. I, I, I cannot tell you how many times Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has been on in my house of late. It's way better than Frosty. Uh, the music is way better. It's mm. way less torturous. But yeah, oh yeah, just all Christmas all the time. Okay. I think I'm the same. Um, the 4th of July stuff. I guess the only thing I would throw the 4th of July out there for is that I can go Jaws or Independence Day. So the peak of what I can watch on the 4th of July is up there. Um, but I think Christmas, I'd, I'd go the same way. There's just so many Christmas movies. As uh, you mentioned, the, the cheesy ones you watch on Netflix, that Hallmark 25 Days of Christmas yep. countdown that they do. Um, was it, since we got cable, Rosina's addicted to those Christmas movies. There's a really funny meme floating around Twitter of all the different DVD covers of Christmas movies, and it features a white guy wearing green and a white woman wearing red, and there's snow in the background and a tree. <laughs> and it's just these are 12 different movies, <laughs> you know, that's literally what they go with every time. <laughs> um, okay. A very important category to end on, Oz. Um, what are your top five Christmas movies? All right. Uh, starting at the top, my number one is Die Hard. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is awesome. Okay, yeah, go ahead. It's my number one. It's As I said, it's a perfect Christmas movie. It, it hits all the Christmas beats. It also happens to be, you know, arguably the greatest action movie ever made. All packaged together. It's this is this is like my shit. This is the thing that makes <laughs> that makes me happy in life. So Die Hard is my number one. Uh, my number two, which perhaps speaks to my tastes, and I sure wish it had a different last five minutes. But other than that, Bad Santa is going to be my number two, which is just hilariously dark. Um, it, it, what what good shit? Uh, there is no sequel. It doesn't exist. Uh, Bad Santa. <laughs> Bad for, Santa Two sucks. <laughs> for Bad Santa, for like ninety six percent of its runtime, is one of the greatest comedies ever made, and then it pulls its punch at the end. Uh, my number three is um, boy. This one may not be a Christmas movie, but I'm going with it anyway. Uh, Phantom Thread. Oh God. <laughs> It's my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. It is set uh, in in particularly during Christmas and New Year's. It is a love story 
sort of. Uh, it really is a love story, just with poison. Um, Phantom Thread is a masterpiece. It is definitely a Christmas movie. It's Christmas. You were talking about how it's all Northeast Christmas. Well, this uh-huh. is Christmas in London. Yeah. And it's a little different. It's a little less emotional. It's a little colder. It's a little, it's a little more stiff upper lip. So Phantom sure. Thread is my number three. Uh, my number four is a movie that I've also mentioned on multiple episodes recently. And then I'm going to go with A Nightmare Before Christmas which is arguably a Halloween movie and not a Christmas movie, but it, it, it goes both ways. So I'm counting it as a Christmas movie. I love this movie. It's like a blessed 70 minutes also, which I, boy, do I like short movies lately. Um, and my number five is Hawkeye. No, I guess that's not eligible, but Hawkeye's really good and a Christmas story. Uh, my number five is going to be one that gives me immense joy. And I know it's kind of dumb and I don't care. I'm going with Elf as my number five. Okay. There is a glaring omission, I think, from your list, but I'll get to it in a second. Um, first of all, Oz and I just either we spend too much time together or we just were meant to do podcasts together because Bad Santa is on my list. Uh, before I finalized my list, I hinted last week when we were talking about Danny Elfman that it had been forever since I watched Nightmare Before. Nightmare Before Christmas. And as you mentioned, it is a blessed 75 minutes, um, 84 with credits, Oz. So I rewatched it this morning before we jumped on because I knew that I wanted to consider it for the pod. And it completely missed my list. I Fuck I, you! <laughs> I respect it. And I understand the, the Tim Burton Nightmare Before Christmas and the respect for it. Um, the songs of uh, uh, there are a couple bops in there. There are a couple bangers. I'll give them that. Uh, I think I just I missed the train, unfortunately. So I'll have it as an honorable mention, uh, but it'll be closer to closer to six and seven than it is to five. Um, yes, I have Bad Santa above Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> so do I. So that's fine. <laughs> um, okay. So my number one, and here's how I define my list. Um, when I think of a Christmas movie. I had to go with like in order. What do I watch every year at Christmas? Whether it be it pops up on cable, I seek it out. And there was one movie that I don't know if I've gone a Christmas without seeing in my life. And it's Home Alone. And I, I'm curious where it ranks for you because it wasn't on your list. You know, here here's the problem with Home Alone. It's that I watched the recent new one on Disney+. Oh, no. Plus. And it made me hate my life so much that when I thought of Home Alone, I said, fuck you, home sweet Home Alone, uh, and didn't include it. I, I think Home Alone is fun. I like it. It, it certainly it hits a nostalgia note for, I think, both of us is roughly the same age. I saw mm-hmm. it in theaters. Weirdly, I, I think I like Home Alone 2 more because Lots I was a New York, who, yeah. who lived in New Jersey and regularly went to New York City um, just for largely that reason, but I, I, I like both of those movies very much. I, I do rewatch them frequently. I just thought it was important to recognize Phantom Thread instead of Home Alone. <laughs> yes, a Christmas movie, Phantom Thread. Um, Home Alone is my number one. Elf is my number two. I want to say since Elf came out, um, I've seen it every Christmas. I had a Christmas party a couple of weeks ago and we watched Elf. It's also, man, you nailed it on loving short movies lately. It is like 94 minutes long um, and it flies by. Like 
He's in New York 15 minutes into the movie, and then it's just Will Ferrell hijinks for the rest of the movie. Um, I did mention the like he, James Conn and his kid quit their jobs at the Empire, or he quits his job with his kid at the Empire State Building, and then walks out into Central Park, which it is not a thing. That's like 40. It's, like, it's a superhero movie. And oh, he had a, he had a portal <laughs> like in Doctor Strange. Okay. Gotcha. So when uh, Buddy sees Santa about to crash in Central Park from the Manhattan Bridge, he's able to just run to the other side of the bridge and get to Central Park in a matter of seconds. You are being unfair. It's like Danny Rojas explains in the Ted Lasso Christmas episode, the magic of Santa is logistics. Uh, it's how okay. he can get from place to place <laughs> so quickly and effectively that is what makes it so magic. I'm being, I'm being ridiculous. This movie is is hilarious. And I got to be honest, I actually think I should have put it at three, though, now that I'm looking at my list, because my number three, which I'm now going to bump up to number two, is arguably my favorite, my favorite version of A Christmas Carol. And it's A Muppet Christmas Carol with uh, Michael Caine playing Ebenezer Scrooge and Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit. Um uh, this is when I talk about a movie I watch every year on Christmas and a movie I watch. I can't wait, wait to watch with my kids one day. Um, yeah. The Muppet Christmas Carol uh, easily my uh, up there for me as far as Christmas movies go. Um, favorite, probably my favorite Muppets movie now that I think about it, which is, I don't know if that's a controversial take, but um, these three, when I thought about movies to put ahead of Die Hard, I had to put these three as far as the, East Coast Christmas spirit. Again, grew up on Long Island. This was my version of Christmas. There was snow. And then I saw Die Hard. And now I appreciate it and understand the rest of the world has a version of Christmas as well, which is why Die Hard is my number four. And then Bad Santa, goddamn Billy Bob Thornton is hilarious in this movie, is my number five. Uh, I think that that is a totally reasonable list. We have pissed on all of the classics here. And that's fine. I go through. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I have a bunch of, of honorable mentions here. I will put it's a wonderful life on my mm -hmm. honorable mention list, but I will, I will, I will take a quick tangent to say that that is such a weird movie to be like a sainted Christmas thing because yeah. it's about a dude thinking about offing himself for two hours. That's what that movie is about. And it is fucking dark and miserable and I, it's one of the more miserable movies from that era of Hollywood. And I know that it has like the uplifting. Oh, yes, I want to be a family ending. That is a weird fucking movie. Can I just remind you, what's his job? Is he a lawyer? I, I think he's a lawyer, which is that's why like, I, I think if that's 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 why I was wondering I, why you didn't relate to that. I think, I think maybe because it's a trigger because lawyers have like uh, the highest rate of alcoholism and suicidal ideation of any like professional career in the United States. Well, this is where you get to talk about movies with me and then you're OK. Uh, I think that Miracle on 34th Street is good. The original, not the remakes. Um, I think that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, to the extent it is a Christmas movie, is fantastic. And I'm going to put that on instead of Lethal Weapon. I'm taking a Shane Black thing. <laughs> Fuck you, Mel Gibson. Uh, I will put Home Alone on my honorable mentions. I will put Scrooged, I think is quite funny, on my honorable mentions. Uh, and shout out to, to my mom and my aunt Kate 
for the 1951 Christmas Carol with Alistair Stim as Ebenezer Scrooge, which is good. And I have one more that would actually probably be the number one on my list if I thought it counted. And I don't think it counts. It's not technically a movie, but uh, I definitely have watched it every single Christmas for, oh, I how, how old am I? I'm 36. So for like 36 years. And, and that's A Charlie Brown Christmas, which would be my number one if I thought it were a movie. So... You didn't steal my thunder because I agree, but I was going to say that my actual number one um, Christmas thing that I watched before we watched Elf at the Christmas Party, I watched all 26 minutes of uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas, which blessed brevity. I just every time that I, I watch that movie as an adult, I pick up on like, wow, we were captivated as children at this thing. And there's a lot of weird in this. Charlie Brown is like depressed. You think yeah. like nightmare, you think of it's a wonderful life is about <laughs> depression. Charlie Brown is literally having the existential crisis throughout that movie. When he goes to talk to Lucy about the conditions that he has. Um, yeah. That, that, the it's a short or a TV special, so I can't call it a movie, but I had, as my honorable mentioned, that and a Grinch Stole Christmas because they're both basically shorts. Um, oh, yeah, like that's short a tie, yeah. you know? So, um, okay. You got me. Still the cowboy, Mr. McLean. Americans all alike. Well, this time John Wayne does not walk off into the sunset with Grace Kelly. It's Gary Cooper, asshole. Enough jokes. You made a pretty good cowboy yourself, Hans. Oh, yes. Yeah. What was it you said to me before? Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. Happy trails, Hans. We have done a final review of Die Hard, Oz. Go through your list. What it ends up being your score for Die Hard. So my Die Hard score, it is uh, five points for John McTiernan movies, five points for Bruce Willis, five points for Alan Rickman, two points for all villains, five points for action villains, five points for 1988, a goose egg on the 80s, <laughs> five points for 80s action, four points for action, and five points for Christmas movies giving us a grand total. I believe this is my second highest score ever for a movie, which fits with where this ranks in my heart hmm. of a 41 for Die Hard here, um, which, you know, we're, we're starting to realize that it seems like probably like a 44 or 45 is about the highest a movie is going to be able to score. So, uh, wow, is that um, 41 points for Die Hard, greatest action movie ever made. Perhaps. Uh, well, second guess. Second, I bet, I guess. But uh, no, this movie is fucking incredible. It's it's why I love Bruce Willis. It's, frankly, this is this is one of those movies that I look at for why I love this shit the way I do. Uh, yeah. Guy Hard. Great. What's your number? So it's funny you ask, Oz, because for John McTiernan, it's my number one. For Bruce Willis, it's my number one. For Alan Rickman, it's my number two. For villain performances, it didn't rank. For 
action movie villains, it's my number one. For 88, it's my number one. For the 80s, it's my number one. For action movies, it's my number one. For 80s action movies, it's my number one. And then for Christmas movies, it's my number four. Which gives me a grand total of 41. Uh, it's a Christmas you, miracle! <laughs> the exact same score. Um, I. It's funny. I, I Did you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine when it was running? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Jake Peralta has this bit about how much he loves Die Hard and it's like why he became a cop. Um, they get Reginald Vell Johnson to be on the show. And then they go to L.A. once and visit Nakatomi Plaza. And when I was rewatching the movie the first time, um, we're going to L.A. in February for like a mini vacation during the NBA All-Star break. And I said, I have that on the list for like places I want to go. And she didn't even realize it's a, a wait, that's a real place. What are you talking about? I was like, yeah. They literally took the Fox building. On yeah, I was the gonna Fox say it's Fox's lot. building. Yeah, <laughs> they took the Fox building on the Fox lot and said, "Like here, shoot your movie here." Um, it's funny they had like the law offices that were like up and running while the movie was being shot, and they were like, "You are not allowed to shoot gunshots." Well, during office hours, they can all happen after five p.m. Uh, this is a landmark movie for me in the fact that like when i go to la i cannot wait to go to nakatomi plaza and take a tour if there is one available um it's a movie i go back to often and reference a lot and you want to talk about scores being indicative of as you said where it fits falls in your heart uh this absolutely is one of them and is deserving um of the 10 out of 10 on letterbox i would obviously give it us yeah 10 out of 10 for me easily and you know the there's a running thing of them doing diehard episodes of TV shows. There's a, there's a delightful episode of Chuck where terrorists mm. take over the fake Best Buy they work at. Reginald Bell Johnson is in it, which is also quite, quite wonderful. Um, yeah. And look, you mentioned it and maybe we should have done a little subcategory of best diehard on a such and such things. Want to do it real quick? Yeah. Shout out under siege. Okay. Well, speed is diehard on a bus. Uh, Air Force One, the, that, the the best pretender, I think. So Die Hard on Air Force One on a plane. Yeah, um, Die Hard on a plane. Uh, I'll go White House down. Die Hard at the White House. Oh, don't do White House down because Olympus has fallen is the better of those two oh, identical movies. We, we disagree. I, I like White House down a little bit better. Oh, I like I like the uh, give, give me more hard R action and less Roland Emmerich bullshit oh okay well that's why i i dig jamie fox way more than i dig morgan freeman as the president at least um do we have a do you have another one no not really i, I maybe <laughs> snakes on a plane <laughs> I like ah, snakes on a plane. there you go does um, con air does con air count because con air is it, fucking awesome because it kind of does is there like does the mcu have a, a diehard in it Oh my god! How does the MCU not have a diehard riff? That's yet? the thing. Like, how is it? Come on, come a, on, Daredevil! You you got this. There you go. You you found an avenue for for the MCU to to introduce diehard. Oz, what would you like to plug before you get out of here? Uh, so over at theinventionofdreams.com, we've we've had our back to back biggest two weeks ever. We're we're churning out a ton of content these days. So come read some some good stuff. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Oz on Movies. And I know you all are going to go see Spider Man. And if you don't go see Spider Man, you're going to go see The Matrix. And I'm going to just keep beating this drum, guys. Uh, we're not going to get any other movies if you don't go see these things. Nightmare Alley is a good movie, and it made fucking two million dollars at the box office. Please. 
please go see something that's not fucking IP based, unless it's West Side Story. Just go see an art movie. It'll make you better. <laughs> It'll make you smarter. It'll make the world a better place. Go see. Come on, come on. Or stream it. It's on rental on on the twenty third. Rent. I come s- on, come on, come. I swear, I've. I have like been staring at a West Side Story showing for the last four days. And it's like, if I can get out of bed, I will go and see this movie. But I haven't been able to for the last four days. Um, I'm just glad that the showings haven't been canceled to make more room for Spider-Man, which unfortunately is the direction we're all headed. As you mentioned in our Spider review that like Nightmare Alley screenings have been shut down. So um, it's happening to Licorice Pizza, too. Is it really? First they well, come for Nightmare Alley, then they come for Licorice Pizza. I'm very glad we saw it when we did that. <laughs> um, I will just say Oz has been very busy over at the Adventure of Dreams. And I have your Being the Ricardos uh, review bookmarked because I'm watching it tonight. And I, sorry, I know, I know your thoughts. I know your thoughts. I want to watch it still. And then I'll... I'll I'll text you later. Apparently, if this is going to be another case of like, let a director be in charge, Sorkin. You write the thing, they'll cut it and make it so it's a good movie. Um, that that is that is of all the eighty three thousand things that are being released over this oh, like little compressed um, one week window, being the Ricardos is the worst of them. Wow. Okay, and that that it's almost a good thing that we got bumped from getting to see that movie. <laughs> uh, thank you to Oz as always. Thank you to all of you for listening. Um, if you dig the show, head on over to iTunes and drop a five-star rating and a review. Uh, theme of the episode, to all celebrating, Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoy the weekend. Stay safe out there. And as always, thank you for listening and tune in next time for another final review. Final review.